Heavenly Father, we thank you that your desire is always to speak to us and to draw us closer to yourself. And so I pray that through these words this evening, you would be doing just that. You'll be opening our hearts to you and leading us to a fuller life in you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Great. Well, tonight I want to speak to you about Jesus's radical mercy, his mercy. And if you only remember one thing from the talk this evening, then please just let it be this. Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. As has been mentioned, today is Remembrance Sunday, and earlier in the week I came across a remarkable story of an act of mercy from the Second World War. In 1943, after a successful bomb run on the German factory, some German fighters severely damaged an American plane under the control of Lieutenant Charlie Brown. And the worst part of the damage for him was that uh, his compass that was leading the plane was damaged, and it led him straight into enemy territory without him being able to find his bearings. And Franz Stigler, a German pilot, was ordered to shoot down Brown's plane and to destroy the enemy. But as he got closer to the plane, he saw that it was in a truly terrible state and how Brown was desperately trying to save himself and save his life from this dangerous situation, but that he and his crew were incapacitated and unable to do so. Now, Franz Stigler could have destroyed Brown as he was ordered to, but instead he decided to fly alongside him to guide him and escort him out of German territory and into a safe zone not occupied by the Germans. He even then saluted Brown before heading back to base, where he told everyone that he had shot down the plane, even though, in fact, he protected and spared this man's life. He risked being found out and court-martialed for sparing an enemy soldier against orders. But he took that risk and he showed mercy, and Charlie Brown was able to fly away safely. And 50 years later, the two men met and became friends until their, until their death. And these are two enemies united by an act of mercy. Charlie Brown, in the rules of combat, deserved to die. That was his due in that situation. But he was shown mercy. And it's the mercy of Jesus that takes center stage in the story we've just heard from John's Gospel. Now, just quickly to kind of clear up any potential confusion over the sort of churchy lingo, what is meant by mercy? We often hear about like, the grace of God, what's grace, what's mercy, what's the difference? Simply put, while the grace of God is God giving us what we don't deserve, so salvation, eternal life, his mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve, death, separation from him. His mercy is him not giving us what we deserve. It's him freeing us from the sentence that we are due. And that is the message of this evening, that God has not come to condemn us in Jesus, but to show you mercy. So let's take a look at what's happening in this event. If you've got a Bible on you, do open it to John chapter 8, and we'll be looking at the text quite closely. So first, just a few details that help us just get a feel for what's happening here and sort of the situation of the Pharisees and the woman. Firstly, we're told in verse 6 that um, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they bring this woman before Jesus in order to try and accuse Jesus to see how he's going to respond. It's no coincidence that she is brought forward 
while Jesus is there. The primary motive of the Pharisees is not seeing the law carried out. Their, their primary motive is their agenda against Jesus and their desire to see him silenced. And they're using this woman's desperate situation to their own advantage. Secondly, I think they're, they're trying to shame her. She's in about as compromising and vulnerable, vulnerable a position as you can possibly be in. And then she's paraded, not just in front of a crowd like this, but also in front of the compelling new religious teacher, probably the last person that she'd have wanted to know about her secrets. But what she's done is revealed to all, and that is to shame her. And then furthermore, it, just, it needs to be said, where's the man? We're told that the law says that a woman caught in adultery is to be put to death. Correct. But as the saying goes, it takes two to tango. What the law actually says is both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. Yet the Pharisees only bring forward the woman. Not only are they shaming her, but this also reveals their misogyny and the extent to which women were marginalized and discriminated against in that culture. So this event here, it says so much more about um, their misogyny and their desire to get rid of Jesus than it does their, their zeal for God's word or anything like that. And this is the setting into which Jesus responds. And his first response is, is this. It is, let any one of you who's without sin cast the first stone. Now, sin leads to death. That's something that they knew. That, that was not news to them. They're used to a whole sacrificial system whereby their sins were transferred onto an animal that would die in their place and they would go free. Sin meant death and had to be atoned for. That was, that was fact for the Pharisees. And so Jesus here is saying that they were in no place to make that kind of a judgment. They were in no place to put that woman to death when they themselves deserved that same fate. Only one who was without sin could make such a judgment. Otherwise, it's, it's just the blind leading the blind. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're disarmed. They, they can't do it. They're all aware of their sin, of their shortcomings, and they knew that they were in no position to cast judgment in that way. So ultimately, it would, it would just come back upon themselves. And so they went away. And then there's, there's a small detail here, which is easily, easily missed. Those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. The older ones first. Why do you think that is? I wonder for you, as you've kind of grown further and journeyed more in your faith, whether your awareness of your own sin has changed. I think I kind of remember being, you know, sort of fairly young in faith and having this idea that, you know, when you're young, all of these sort of sinful behaviors, they're, they're, you need to sort them out. But as you get older, you're, you know, you're going to mature into being like those leaders that you look up to or something who are so holy and have everything sorted and have all these amazing stories of how God uses them. And it's just going to be this thing of like this sort of upward trajectory, getting closer to God, being more like him, easy. But in reality, I think the older that we get, the more we become aware of our sin our brokenness and our need for God's mercy. Any getting towards God is, is not a result of us dealing with our sin and climbing up towards him. Rather, it's us realizing our need for him. It's us realizing our brokenness and, 
allowing him to show us mercy and transform us again and again and again. That's certainly been the case for me. Um, the Lord has just he's been merciful to me on countless occasions. I've, I've shared this in um, this service before a few months ago, back in the summer, but for a, for a long time in my life as a Christian, I really struggled with porn. And I knew it was sinful. I knew it wasn't honoring God, but I just couldn't escape from its grip. And it dominated my, my understanding of sin and kind of how I approached and related to God. Because every time I came to a confession in church or every time I'd hear a talk like this, that was the only thing on my mind. It was, that was the only thing that would come to mind. And eventually, by various circumstances and God's grace, he helped to free me from it. And I'm eternally grateful for the mercy that he showed me. But having found myself finally free from the grip of porn, did that mean I could just walk through life as a Christian now, everything sorted, that big thing behind me, easy from here on, holiness confirmed? No. I'd been so fixated upon this one issue and how it affected my relationship with God that I was just blind to all the other ways in which I was falling short and not living up to the mark. Maybe some of you can relate with that. And since then, I've just become more and more aware of just how many areas there are that God wants to work in. Having that sort of one thing removed has opened up a, a vast array of ways in which I need to grow and where God needs to transform me. And that is, I think that's kind of the norm in the Christian life, that the more we journey with him, the more we seek him, the more we realize just how much we need him. What is it in your life that God wants to speak to you about tonight? and for you to bring to him and receive mercy for. Because Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. Now, as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law all leave and are convicted of their own sin, we're left with just the woman standing in front of Jesus. It's sort of a very powerful scene as it's kind of been this huge crowd which just dissipates and there's just the two of them standing in front of each other. And Jesus asks her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. But for the woman, that's, that's not necessarily the end of her troubles. Because unlike the others, Jesus actually could condemn. Let the one who is without sin cast the first stone, Jesus said. That's not no one. That is Jesus. Jesus is the sinless one. The consequence of sin is death. And Jesus could have rightly executed that judgment. The 17th century theologian Matthew Henry in his commentary on this writes, the woman it is likely stood trembling. Christ was without sin and might cast the first stone. But though none more severe than he against sin, none more compassionate than he to sinners, for he is infinitely gracious and merciful and this poor sinner finds him so. Jesus, despite being the only one in the place who could actually cast the first stone, shows this poor woman mercy. And he says to her these life-giving words, neither do I condemn you. This is his mercy in action. It's not giving us what we deserve. We deserve condemnation. This woman did. The Pharisees and the crowd did. You and I do. But to all, Jesus says, neither do I 
condemn you. Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. And in showing mercy to the woman, it's not that he's saying it doesn't matter, just we all mess up, it's, it's fine, you can go. Simply that wouldn't be right, and it would go against the law that Jesus came to fulfill. But ultimately, the death penalty for this woman is still given. The punishment for her infidelity is still meted out. Not upon her, but upon Jesus. Jesus, upon the cross, bore her sin and took on the punishment that she was due. And likewise, Jesus, upon the cross, bears our sin and takes on the punishment that we were due. The consequence of sin is death. That is what we deserve for turning away from God. But that is not our story because Jesus takes it upon himself. He dies for us in our place so that all who believe in him might receive mercy and live. That is our story. He knows you from the inside out, all of your regrets, all the things you're ashamed of. And he loves you. He's not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. It's all about Jesus' mercy. And what I'm saying here, it might be very familiar to you. you may, maybe you've been in church for a long time and you sort of think, this is old news, I've, I've heard this, I know this, tell, tell me something new. But we never graduate from it. We can't take this mindset of just thinking, oh, we know this, I, I need new things, because we all need this reminder. And I think sometimes the further we go in life, the more we can become complacent with it and the more familiar it seems and every day it seems. And then the more that we need reminding of the wonder of God's mercy, the more we need to recapture that. I love the line in the song that goes, may I never lose the wonder, oh, the wonder of your mercy. We need to pray things like that because God knows what we're like. He knows that our hearts are fickle. He knows that our minds are quick to forget the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. And they're quick, we're quick to wander off and turn to other things for comfort and satisfaction. King David writes in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of my salvation. In other words, bring me back to that place of joy and wonder and amazement at your salvation, at your saving work in my life. Take my heart back to basking in the beauty of that moment. Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. Later in the service, you're going to have an opportunity for people to pray with you. And I just want to mention these things now to kind of prepare you for that. If there's things in your life that have been raised to the surface as I've been speaking, any areas where you're feeling guilt or shame, then bringing these to God in prayer and hearing his forgiveness pronounced over you is a very powerful thing. And I strongly recommend you consider praying with someone if that's you. The first time that I encountered God and was filled with the Holy Spirit was doing just that, was confessing my sin to someone and hearing God's forgiveness spoken over me. It's an amazing thing. And I'm aware that calling people to prayer in this sort of a way is not a very popular thing, because if you're going forward, you may be thinking, what if so-and-so thinks that I've done this and that's why I'm going forward for prayer or everyone's going to know that I've messed up in some way? 
But in tonight's message, we, we see Jesus say, let the one without sin cast the first stone. Or perhaps in this context, let the one without sin be the first to cast judgment on the person wanting to bring this before God. There's no one here who can. No one who can judge you for needing to bring sin to the Lord. Not me, not your, not me, not your friends, not the team, the worship leader, anyone in this building. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In reality, we should all be going forward. But if there is something for you that just feels kind of particularly acute, or maybe it's just been weighing you down emotionally or spiritually, and you're just sort of sensing that at the moment, then you are invited to come and bring that to God, bring it before him, and know that when you do that in repentance, he forgives you. And you can hear that forgiveness pronounced over you. This is a talk, though, really for us all to respond to. None of us are without the sin are able to cast the first stone, to cast judgment. And I think all of us can find ourselves in this story. In the Bible, the most common analogy used for our relationship with God is that of a marriage. Jesus is depicted as the bridegroom and we, the church, as his bride. But the analogy extends beyond just referring to God and his people in that way. Because we as people are continually unfaithful to the God who's faithful to us. We turn our backs on him, we go our own way, we get caught up in pursuing other things and creating idols in our lives, rather than wholeheartedly loving the Lord. In other words, we are the woman caught in adultery. We are the bride of Christ, guilty of infidelity to him, of sinning against him. All of us in this sense are able to put ourselves in her shoes. And we, like the woman here, find ourselves brought in front of Jesus, who, again, shows mercy to us. Not giving us what we deserve. Instead, he pronounces that same message to you and to me. Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And we're all going to respond to this now by receiving communion together. And Dan, who's one of the ministers here, is going to come up and lead us in that. And in this time, we, we receive bread and wine as a reminder of Jesus' body and his blood, which was given for us upon the cross. And in so doing, we receive the mercy of Jesus once more. His pardon for our sin and the freedom that he has bought for us. Jesus has not come to condemn you, but to show you mercy. Amen.